But in that connection, let me read some verses from Luke chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, and pondered them in her heart, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Amen. We'll end our reading in verse 20. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. If I could call your attention in particular to verse 19 from this portion we've read, where it says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Whenever I think of this scene in Luke chapter 2, I'm always struck by the thought of what an amazing night this must have been for those shepherds. They probably began that evening going about their business, which was so routine that they could perform their tasks and probably still be half asleep going into the night. You ever have a job like that? I have. Something you've done so many times over and over again, you barely even have to be awake in order to do it. 
And that may have been the case when it came to watching over their flocks by night, engaged in a job that they had done so many times that it was mundane, it was routine. And then that mundane routine was on this particular night shattered for those shepherds. That becomes quite apparent by the very first words of verse 13 that say, and suddenly, try to get a handle on the contrast there. A mundane night, doing what they always do, and suddenly, things changed. Quite suddenly and unexpectedly and out of nowhere, heaven was opened, and those shepherds got a look at what worship looks like when it's conducted in heaven. And certainly that heavenly worship teaches us something about how our earthly worship should be conducted here below as we learn first and foremost that Christ is to be the object of our worship as he was the object of the angels' worship that night. And our worship should be filled with praise, and it should aim for God's glory, and it should equip us for spreading peace and goodwill toward men. Now we read something about those shepherds that would become characteristic of many that would behold the glory of the Lord. We read in verse 17 that they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Just like many who were healed in Christ's day of blindness or raised from a bed of sickness or delivered from demonic possession, these shepherds could not help but to share what they had seen and heard and experienced in their hearts. And the text makes it clear that they dropped what they were doing and went far and wide sharing the report. And so we read in verse 20 that following this evangelistic tour of sorts, it says they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now the reaction to this report by the shepherds is given to us in the very next verse, verse 18, where we read, And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Not hard to put yourself in their shoes either, is it? Uh, these shepherds, you know, they're, they're going everywhere. Why aren't they tending to the sheep? They've uh, left their job post. They're going around. They are circulating this highly unusual account of angels in heaven speaking to them, uh, really, of the Messiah. And I think you could say that the responses to their strange report were probably varied among the people that heard them. There would be those who would be amazed for a short time, but then would soon go back to business as usual. There would be those who would be amazed, perhaps, at the convincing manner in which the shepherds conveyed their report, and they might be amazed at the content of that report, but they might judge the shepherds to be just a little bit strange. Perhaps the whole thing was the result of drinking undiluted wine on the job, they might reason. 
Now, I might be speculating a little bit on how different people reacted to the shepherds, but I don't think my speculation is altogether guessing. Because in the very next verse, we're told in the very first word of verse 19 that Mary's response to the shepherd's report stands in stark contrast to the responses of the others. And so we read in verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. But Mary, and the word but indicates to us, doesn't it, that Mary's response was different. And the text indicates to us that the effect of all the unusual things that accompanied the birth of Christ affected Mary deeply and had a lasting and permanent effect on her life. This is conveyed to us by the words of verse 20, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And this is what makes her response a good response to the angelic message that was being made known by the shepherds. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ calls for a response from those who hear it. It won't do simply to wonder at the things that are reported in the gospel. There must be a definitive response on the part of those who hear. It must be a personal response. This is one of the things that comes across so clearly in the announcement of good tidings of great joy. Underscore those words, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. I love how those words are made very personal and have individual application unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Have you ever heard that message conveyed to you in that fashion? Unto you this child is born. Forget about uh, what his association with others might be or might not be. Unto you is born this day. And unto you then comes the message of glad tidings and great joy. And because this is a word to each individual, each individual must in turn respond to the message, and it must be a response to the right thing and in the right way and from the same depth of soul as what we find in Mary. So that's what I want to think on this afternoon for just a few moments that remain. The right response the good tidings of great joy. The right response to it. Mary teaches us that response. And we must imitate her action. And the question I want to answer now is simply, how can we respond to the good tidings of great joy the same way Mary did? Consider with me first, we must respond to the same things that Mary responded to. Mary kept all these things. It says in verse 20, underscore that last phrase, these things. She kept these things. Kept what things? We do well to ask. Well, she would have kept the things that she knew already. In some respects, Mary would not have wondered at the shepherd's report the same way others did. 
After all, she had been visited previously by an angel from heaven, the angel Gabriel, and this angel brought her a message of blessing and favor from God. Thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, chapter 1 and verse 28, and again in verse 30, thou hast found favor with God, and then the angel proceeds to tell Mary about Christ. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom of his kingdom there shall be no end. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 31. Oh, this was a message of favor and grace to Mary. She certainly saw it that way. She rejoiced in God, her Savior. And it's worth noting that she calls God her Savior, which sort of lays the axe, doesn't it, to the immaculate conception view of Mary held by the Roman Catholic Church, no, she saw herself in need of a Savior. She saw God as that Savior. Mary, you see, points us to Christ. And in our text, she's responding to good tidings of great joy, which was being noised abroad by the shepherds. Their message was consistent with the message she had personally received from the angel Gabriel. It's a message of peace, it's a message of joy, it's a message of salvation, and it's a message that is grounded in Christ. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We must therefore know the message. The message is Christ the Savior is born. And we must understand the implications of the message. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. We're lost apart from this Savior. We're guilty of sin. And as a result, we forfeited any claim to life because of our sin. Our sins have separated us from God. Our sins are what rob us of peace and joy and fulfillment. Our sins are what make us lonely and dejected and miserable and empty. And it is especially to those that are lonely and dejected and miserable and empty that this angelic announcement comes, Christ has come. He is born. He has come to live and to die in your place. He has come to shed his blood for your sins. He has come to offer himself to God as a sacrifice for your sins. And then to offer to all the peace and joy and blessing of knowing that your sins can be forgiven by trusting in him. Our text tells us then, Mary kept these things. What things? Well, the tidings concerning Christ, the witness of heavenly worship to the importance of this baby that she had just brought forth. Let's respond then to the right things in the days ahead. And then secondly, let's note that we must respond in the right way. 
What is the proper response that Mary teaches us? Well, again, the words of our text, Mary kept all these things and pondered them. She kept and pondered them. And here is where we must imitate Mary in the way she responded. She kept all these things. The text says the word in its original meaning conveys the idea of preserving a thing from perishing or being lost. She kept these things. More specifically, it means to keep a thing within one's mind so that it's not forgotten. Keep these things in mind then. And then we read again that she pondered these things. Here, the literal meaning of the word is a bringing together in one's mind. The picture is of Mary marshalling the mental resources of her mind to bring together the various things she had seen and heard and experienced. There would have been many thoughts that Mary would access from her soul to keep them in the forefront of her mind. She would have remembered that initial encounter with the angel Gabriel in which it was announced to her that she would bring forth the Messiah. She would remember the painstaking task of revealing this news to her espoused husband Joseph. She would remember the unusual dealings of God's providence working in Joseph's life through dreams which kept Joseph from divorcing her. She would remember the difficult task of traveling to Bethlehem while being great with child. How discouraging it must have been to realize that the responsibility for bringing forth the Messiah is committed to you and you couldn't even find a place to stay. Why was God making this task so difficult? Joseph and Mary may have reasoned being focused on the difficulty and being unaware that this was, in fact, in accordance with the divine plan for the ages. We sometimes make that mistake, don't we? We think that when God has plainly and forcefully impressed his will upon our hearts, that the path to seeing his will fulfilled is going to be easy. I would suggest to you that it's rarely that way. Christ telling his disciples to get into the boat strikes me as illustrating what I'm describing. They were to get into the boat, they were to cross it to the other side. And the fact that Christ told them to get in that boat and cross it to the other side meant that's what they were to do, but it didn't mean that it was going to be easy. And in fact, it wasn't. It proved to be difficult, if not impossible, until Christ himself crossed the stormy sea and stilled the storm. And then there was the visit of the shepherds communicating to Joseph and Mary all that had been told and shown them from heaven. Oh, it seems, wouldn't it, that Mary would have had a lot of things to keep and ponder in her heart. And this is the right way and the best way to respond to the things that are given to us by God. We need to keep these things. We need to ponder these things. Meditate upon these things, Paul writes to Timothy. Give thyself wholly to them, 
that thy profiting may appear to all. And doesn't that indicate to you there is something of an evangelistic lesson to be learned here when it comes to your witnessing for Christ as you are meditating upon these things, giving thyself wholly to them, keeping and pondering in your mind and soul the glorious truth of Christ and the gospel. That's going to show itself to others. And it will do so in a way that won't have to be forced. It'll come quite naturally and quite spontaneously if you're giving yourself wholly to these things to keep and ponder them. We need to keep our hearts sensitive to these things by using our inward faculties to call together the things that we have seen and heard and experienced of our God. And if you have believed savingly in Jesus Christ, then no doubt there are many things that you can reflect upon and should keep and ponder. Do you remember the day you discovered the truth that Christ is mighty to save? You may have heard it many times as you grew up. You may have been exposed to the gospel all your life. But there came a time when you actually met Jesus Christ by faith. You heard the good tidings of great joy concerning Christ and the salvation he provides and the burden of your guilt rolled away. Can you remember, have you kept and pondered it? That time when you rejoiced at the news that your sins were forgiven on account of Christ's shed blood? Do you remember that initial experience of peace Can you recall the time when it all came together and made sense and you received spiritual life? Those are things to keep and ponder. This is the way the seasoned Christian continues to respond to the gospel. He keeps these things in his heart. He ministers the gospel to his own soul. So we must respond to the right thing. We must respond in the right way. Consider finally, we must respond from our hearts. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The heart depicts the very core of your being. It's the innermost chamber of the soul. For this reason, we are told... Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 In order for the gospel to save your soul and transform your life, you need not merely your head, but you need your heart converted. In Christ's day, there were many who thought they were the people of God by virtue of being Jews. They were you could say, raised in the church, so to speak. They were trained in that religion based on Old Testament scriptures. One of God's constant complaints about the Israelites is recorded in Matthew 15 and verse 18. It says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And it's only when the heart is changed through salvation that old things pass away and all things become new. And I'm afraid that all too often 
What you find in much of professing Christendom is not old things passing away and all things becoming new, but rather old things remaining in force and simply taking on a religious tint. The real meaning of being born again is gaining a new heart. And when a new heart is gained, then love for Christ follows and hatred for sin also follows. Christians are not perfect. Indeed, true Christians feel the strength of inbred sin very keenly. But while they're not perfect, they are changed. They feel the strength of sin and they detest it. They cry for forgiveness to Christ to shed his blood for their sins. And they cry to Christ for enabling power that strengthens them to overcome their sins. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And if your religion has not reached your heart, then I'm afraid it hasn't saved your soul either. But if it has reached your heart and you're able to trace a change that has come over your heart as a result of salvation, then your desire will be to keep your heart. And the way our hearts are kept sensitive to the things of God is to keep and ponder the blessings that are ours in Christ. And we must keep and ponder the awful price that was paid to procure those blessings to our souls. There were many, you see, in Mary's day that heard the glad tidings of great joy. A Savior was born. The Son of God had become a man. And he did so in order to live for us and die for us as our substitute. What amazing love. What great salvation at such a price. What a powerful death. Our Savior died on Calvary's cross. Those that heard the tidings from the shepherds wondered at those things which were told them. But in contrast to those who merely wondered, our text says Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That was the right response to the right things and from the right source, her heart. Oh, let's be sure that we respond to good tidings of great joy the same way that Mary responded. Christ is the richest treasure you can have in your heart. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if he occupies the place of your deepest affections, then you will reverence him, you will serve him, you will live for him, and you will endeavor to tell it far and wide of what he means to you, and you'll never be ashamed of him. Oh, may we keep and ponder in our hearts over this holiday season, then, the glorious truths of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. O Lord, as we bow now in thy presence and bring this meeting to a close, we thank you for the way that night was interrupted by angelic worship 
We thank thee, Lord, for rolling back the scroll, as it were, and enabling those shepherds to hear the angelic proclamation pertaining to Jesus. And we thank thee, Lord, that this was not only for their benefit, but was for our benefit as well, to whom the record of this historic event has come, a record inspired and preserved by thee. O Lord, we pray that thou wilt help us to be a contemplating people during these days. May we not be so distracted by busyness that we fail to keep and ponder in our hearts the glorious truths of Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.